you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we continue on in our series, what I call Reboot, Renewed Hope and Renewed Focus. Thank you, Bill, and the rest for leading us before the throne in worship today. I have been told already it's, um, it's one of those days. You know what that means? It's just one of those days. You know what I find is quite interesting is that I don't know with uh, some of the challenges that we face having to meet outside. Uh, you are sitting in the beating sun. We've had some uh, technical and sound issues this morning. Um, this week, I, I severed the nerve in my thumb, so I'm at tops, maybe 88, 89%, just to let you know. With all of those challenges that we faced, let me tell you this, for some reason, I feel like this is more like the church should be than ever before. I feel like we're doing church more the way it's supposed to be done because there's so many things that are just outside of our control. And what's amazing is that each week, faithfully, you continue to show up. And in all honesty, there's more of you every single week. And I commend you for your faithfulness. I, I welcome you this morning to what God is doing right here at Big Woods Bible Church. A special welcome, I do have to mention, for the very first time officially, we have May Brady with us, with um, mom and dad, Luke and Juliana, and so a special welcome to May. Congratulations to Craig and Kimber as well. This week, Wendy and I had the wonderful privilege, Wendy, speaking of her, is her birthday today, remind her of that. <clears throat> we had the wonderful blessing this week of being together with our two of our three grandchildren, and one particular day, um, our grandson, Denson, wanted to have lunch with Pop-Pop, and he wanted to come to the office, and so that's always a treat. A budding preacher, pastor, one day, we got our happy meals, and, and we sat together to have lunch, and of course, he wants to, at that age, investigate everything about church, and, and walking around and looking at things, and we were in the sanctuary. Do you remember the sanctuary that we used to meet in? In the sanctuary, there's this big water tank. And, and Denson was fascinated with that. He said, Papa, that's, that's what they fill with water, right? And I said, yeah. And I said, and then what happens? And he said, and then people go under the water. And I said, that's right. It's called being baptized. And he says, yeah, that's right. And then they come, you, you bring them back out of the water again. And in my mind, I'm like, this is it. I mean, another generation of pastors in the family. And, and, and I asked him, so then what happens, Denson? He said, then... They become robots, and everything just collapsed. I thought for a moment, out of the blue, we weren't even talking about robots. In a sense, God could have made us robotic. God in his sovereignty could make us to do exactly what he wants us to do, and he, he chose not to do that. He chose to give to each one of us the desire, what, to either 
obey and follow, to submit and worship, or to reject. That's the God that we have to serve, that he gave to us a free will. This is an exciting time. As challenging as it is, it is an exciting time for where we're at as a local church. Pastor Josh, thank you so much, and the finance team for uh, reminding us and revealing to us an amazing opportunity as a, as a local church to do even better as a testimony. And so we pray as we set a day aside to, to just sacrificially give whatever the Lord has blessed us with so we can, we can continue on for the work of the gospel that, that God has called us to. There is much work to do in the day and the community that we find ourselves in. So we need to pray for that. We need to pray as well for this morning. We have to pray that God speaks to all of us through his word in this very important text this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are so grateful and we are so humble that you've blessed us with another beautiful day. A day that we can gather together and worship the creator in all of creation. We look around us and we are reminded of your grace and your goodness. We're reminded, Lord, that you didn't create us in a way that we have to do whatever you want, but, Lord, that you've created within us a heart that longs for you. And my prayer this morning is that all of us would hear from you and you alone. Lord, I just ask for help personally this morning as we open up your word and as you speak, but Lord, as, as we move forward as a local church in this community, you've been so faithful in providing for us, and we ask, Lord, that you would continue to do that, Father, so that you can receive all of the glory, even in challenging times and un, unknown to us. They are known to you. They're marked and numbered. Father, our prayer is that we would be faithful to the task that you've called us to, that we, would, that we would speak the good news about you, and that you would receive all glory and honor as it's due you. Speak now, and may your servants, your children, hear. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Last week was the first time that we gathered in this particular subject and we described the challenges. And it's no doubt the challenges that we are facing in ministry, the day and the time that God has called us to. And I think we could summarize it with this has been a little bit tough for us. Much of it deals with kind of the swirling circumstances that are unknown to us, they're out of our control. And we spoke specifically how we're to respond to that, knowing that we have this ministry by the mercy of God. It's actually God's gift to us. So, so we know that we live in a day that the word of God, the Bible, is under attack. Even in a day and a time that the church is criticized and ridiculed. We know that the gospel and our Savior, Jesus, are under constant pressure. And so we looked at the fact that we do not lose heart. We do not tamper with the truth. And we simply proclaim Christ. So we step apart from this word. And we say, all right, this is going to be hard, but I can do it. This is going to be tough, but I will do it. Now, this text before us this morning 
does not go where you think it's going to go. Before you saddle up to do anything, you and I need to get our theology straight. We need to get our meology straight. Now, don't get mad at me this morning. I, I preface this text. Don't get angry with the messenger. But you, in all of your giftedness, are not going to fix anything. You are not going to change. You're not going to correct. You're not going to steer. And you're not going to rescue anything. You are not the star of the show. You are not the hero. You know the participation award that you still have hanging on your wall from sixth grade field day? It's not going to do anything for you. The report card, report card that you saved with straight A's, it's not going to help you. The trophies, the medals, please come in and oh, look at this. None of that is going to help you here, if we are going to move forward, if we're going to reboot in the ministry that God has called us to with a renewed focus, a renewed hope, then we have got to lean into and lean on Jesus more than ever before. These are the words before us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 7 with me. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. It's really that first phrase, it's that first verse I want to draw your attention to, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. It actually begins with the word but. It's a conjunction that introduces a startling contrast between the splendor of what the Apostle Paul was speaking of, this treasure. But we have this treasure. We know that this treasure points back to verse 6, that we know it is what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of, of God. So this treasure is the gospel. So as we look at verse 7, but we have this treasure. The treasure is the gospel. And it says what? The contrast is that the, the gospel is held within what? Weak, poor, humble vessels that are referred to as jars of clay. Now within the pages of scripture, there are oftentimes images and analogies that are given to, 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 to describe how we learn, to help us learn. Little hint here. You are referred to here in this context, specifically your body, 
is a jar of clay. So the treasure is the gospel within the, 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 within each one of us exists this light that is supposed to be shining out for all of the world to see. And, and rather than get caught on and stuck on how impressive we are, the term that is given is this clay pot, basically. Now, this, this jar of clay is hard for us to fully comprehend and understand, <clears throat> excuse me, in a westernized and a modernized culture and context. We hear clay today, and we think what? <clears throat> we think pottery, and we think of artisans that are sitting behind a spinning wheel as they are throwing elaborate vases that will be then hand-painted and glazed and fired and sold for lots of money in art galleries and auctions. Excuse me. <clears throat> Wonderful. They're beautiful, but they oftentimes are just placed on a shelf in order to look at. It's very rarely an expensive clay vessel or piece of pottery that is ever going to be used to cook with or to clean with. <clears throat> now, now compare that with ancient Middle Eastern culture where clay was abundant. The heat of the sun and fire was prevalent. So we know that when there was an order that was given for a clay pot, those orders were filled very quickly and very easily because clay was cheap. Things were plentiful. They were also very, very useful. You could use a clay pot or a jar of clay to carry water with or to boil water, to cook in, or even to use to fill up so you could clean things. Oftentimes, believe it or not, Clay pots back before the time of modern plumbing were used to carry waste out from the home to outside of the home. Now think about it. That's what you and I are being called this morning. Now yes, we know that there's other vessels of gold and silver and bronze that are very, very expensive, but that's not what you and I are called. We're called this simple clay pot. Now, there's similarities between the modern expensive ones and the ancient cheap disposable ones. Both of them were, in a sense, chosen from particular clay. Both of them, in a sense, were shaped by a sculptor. Both were subject to great heat. But in our context this morning, your physical body is being referred to as this. Think about the attention that the world places on your physical body. All of the exercise, all of the diet, all of the attention, all of the makeup that you put on, all of that, in a sense, is being described and compared and called a clay pot. Now, that's hard for us to figure out because what? Since the day you were born, most of us, most of us were what? Held and loved and hugged and kissed by a loving father and loving mother. Most of us lacked nothing. 
You were born, you were hugged and held, you were closely examined by the doctor, you were fed and nourished, you were wrapped in warm blankets, you were given a little pink hat or a little blue hat to wear to identify you, and you were given what? You were given baths and you were given bottles as you grew. You were given toys and books were read to you and stories were told to you, and when you went to kindergarten, you were what? You were the bomb that day. You had a whole new outfit on, all new clothes with a brand new backpack. And in your backpack were brand new crayons and, and scissors and glue that you didn't even know what to do with. But all of this stuff, you were marched to school and you were what? You were given your snack time and your nap time and your teacher poured into you and taught you your parents provided for you, your coaches coached you, and the single message all the way through was that you are amazing, that you are awesome. And without a doubt, there is a degree of truth to that because you too were shaped by a potter. Psalm 139 says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Isaiah, what? Isaiah 64 says that what? That we are the clay and that God shapes us and makes us. That in one sense, we are amazing because we reflect the image of God. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 and 28. We bear within us the imago Deo. We bear within us the image of God. So in one sense, we are amazing, but it's not because of who we are. It's because of who made us. So somewhere along the journey, what I oftentimes refer to as the journey of self, you were recognized, and you were rewarded, and you were celebrated. And somewhere in that journey of self, what happens in our world today is that we begin to buy and believe a lie, where it becomes all about you. So much so that today, July the 27th, 2020, there is a tremendous danger, a great danger, that we can focus more on you than the one who created you. You understand that? That we focus more on ourselves than the one who created us. And so in this particular context, the author is writing to us. And he's saying very clearly, remember, remember who you are. He's saying very clearly, remember who made you, remember why you're here, remember what you are doing. And I honestly, I honestly believe that these simple truths have become blurred, that we've become disillusioned, particularly over the past few months, where everything in a sense has been put into a box and you shake it up and we don't know what's up, we don't know what's down. We hear words like pandemic, and we've never even lived, we've never even experienced that before. Health crises, economic fallout, chaos, and collapse. We watch things as they're being sifted through what? Channels of media, and we're buying, and we're believing everything. So much so that people are asking, like, what's going on here? We have to remember the entire theme of this whole letter in 2 Corinthians, regardless of how much suffering, there is promised power of the Holy Spirit that changes lives. 
Our responsibility is to simply stay faithful to the message and the ministry that God has called us to. That's what we have to keep hold of. That's what we have to keep a hope in by remembering we have this gospel. We hold this gospel. We proclaim this gospel. We shine as lights in dark world, although we are simply what? Jars of clay. A perfectly appropriate term because look at our bodies. They get chipped and they get cracked and they wear down and they get old. We live and we breathe every day in a broken, decaying, dying body. It was certainly appropriate to sing this morning as Bill led us, what, not home yet. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. So we keep the focus on what's important. There's no doubt you go to school to learn. It's needed. It's necessary. But I think you would agree with me that some of the best learning that we ever do is spending time in the trenches with those people who know what they're doing. That we learn by what? By following others. We learn by sitting alongside of next to and listening. As a pastor, I have been blessed over the years to have good and godly men that, that I have sat under, going back from when I was a child to, to Pastor Bill Randolph and Pastor Glenn Blossom, and as I was growing, Pastor Larry Mead. I hold in my office the names of 16 men, 16 pastors, practitioners of the gospel, who all sat in my ordination council, who poured into my life, who told me, that's a really dumb thing to say, Boger, or, 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 or do this, don't do that. One of those men that, that, that name is on my wall is Pastor Randall Burns. I ministered in the same community with him for almost 10 years up in northern Maine. And we were talking one particular time on this very text, and he says this, and I quote, a dear friend and a great brother and a faithful pastor. He said, at best, we are cracked pots. At best, we are cracked pots. But let's make sure the light of Jesus always shines through those cracks. A simple statement that I've carried with me at best. Don't let it go to your head. At best, you and I are crackpots, but we have a job to let the light of Jesus shine through those cracks. The best explanation as to why we are called this. God's not trying to, what, drive us into the ground. He's trying to show us something. He's trying to teach us something to show us what the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Weakness demands strength. We must see the needed strength, the needed power comes from what? Comes from the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 speaks of that, that there's a power that's going to come upon you. I wonder is the church at oftentimes who, 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 who what, shuffles their feet, who stares at the ground in discouragement. We can't do what we used to do. And we can't be what we used to be. And we can't, wait a minute, where's the power that, that comes from within of the Holy Spirit that is promised to, to make you and give you the ability to be effective witnesses? We know that the Holy Spirit 
gives you that power when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. That's Romans chapter 10. So that we do everything from that moment, every word, everything it says that you put in your mouth, everything that you eat or drink, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God, not the glory of ourselves. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul affirms this. Later on in this very book that we're reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, for the sake of Christ, that I am content with weakness and insults. I'm content with hardships and persecutions and calamities. Can you believe what the Apostle Paul is saying? I'm content when calamity hits, when we're in an uproar when calamity hits. Paul says what? For when I am weak, then I am strong. And he's not muscling up in and of himself. He's muscling up in Christ. If Christ suffered, then I can suffer. If Christ endured, then I can endure. Thankfully, there's a very specific list that shows us that we can suffer, but yet we can still have hope by remembering what? We hold tight to the truth that although we are afflicted in every way, we are not crushed. That word afflicted, there's so much that truly does exist. And Paul never, ever shies away from the truth. The faithful ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to call you in some way to be afflicted. The word literally means to be crushed, to be oppressed, to be compressed, to face trouble. It's a pretty accurate picture of what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy in this world would like to do and in many ways, he's been successful in doing in respects and regards to the local church. But consider this. Every time a people, every time a person, every time a society, every time a culture, every time a government has attempted to afflict the church, the church has always, always flourished and has grown. In 130 A.D., so think about this. One writes by way of historian. The historian is Diognetes, and he writes this by way of a description of these Christians. Listen to this and see if this describes you this morning. As in the first century, your brothers and sisters and my brothers and sisters in Christ were facing unbelievable and horrific circumstances. Dignity writes this, every foreign land is to them as their native country. Every land of their birth is as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring like others. They have a common table, but they do not have a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all men. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death, and yet they are restored to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. 
They are in lack of all things, and yet they abound in all things. They are dishonored, and yet in every way, their dishonor is glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet they are justified. They are reviled, and yet they bless. They are insulted and repay with insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. To sum it all up in one word, what the soul is to the body that our Christians are to the world. That's almost 2,000 years ago, and it's a perfect description of what you and I ought to be today. Does that describe you? Yes, we live in this land, but this is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. Remember that. Hold tight to that truth. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. The word, can, the word perplexed means literally filled with uncertainty. Think about scratching your head like, I don't understand. And this is not a casual, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what's going on. What this speaks about is that after a significant time of searching and digging and longing and wondering, you're saying, I really, no, honestly, really, really, I do not know what's going on, but I'm okay with that. Why? Because I know the one who knows. That's what perplexed is, but we're not driven to depressing description. Despair implies hopelessness. Sure, the times that we are living in are difficult times to understand, but there is always, always hope. Later on in our study, we will see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, a perfect description. Though our outer self, that's your physical body. And you, you describe this. I'm at an age right now that when I go to bed, I, I can injure myself sleeping. I wake up more sore and I didn't even do anything. Our outer self is wasting away, but it says what? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. <clears throat> we are persecuted, but not forsaken. It's hard for us. It really is to identify completely, but it is so necessary for us. Last week I talked about these are tough times, but measure that to what our brothers and sisters were facing in the first century, or the time of the, of the Reformation or the Inquisition. Yet today what we have to understand in other cultures and contexts, our brothers and sisters are, are being persecuted at a rate and at a pace like never before. I just read of our brother in Lord Sula is his name from Northern India. A young man, 25 years old, going into small communities to preach the gospel. And he was literally, he was beat. And he sent back out again and he would come back. He would be beat again and sent back out. This happened numerous occasions. One time he was beat so bad, they literally threw him in a pit and left him for dead. We've, we've corrected the problem. We've, we've got rid of him once and for all. I read the testimony that one of the men who actually beat him was so convicted that he got up in the middle of the night to go check in the hole. Was he really dead or not? Was he really dead or not? 
As he climbed down in the hole, he realized that he was not dead. And for some odd, strange reason, although he had literally beat him earlier in the day, he climbed in the hole, he grabbed him, he took him home, and he nursed him back to health. And Sula led this man, literally this man who, who had beat him almost to an inch of death. And Sula led him to the Lord. So much so that in that very town, there is a church that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Sula's the pastor. And that man is one of the leaders. You see, we understand at some level that what the belief that the first Christians had is well-founded because of what? The redeeming death of Jesus. We have a hope. Actually, Jesus taught, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit, much fruit. You see, God understands when he designed this, what we are to be persecuted, but not forsaken. Not forsaken. You see what made the cross, the wretchedness of the cross so horrible was the fact that God, the Father, in complete holiness, had to turn his back, had to turn away from the sin that his son Jesus Christ bore on our behalf. Be assured, far greater, as you just pause on the horrific image of the crucifixion, far greater than any physical pain is that Jesus had to be forsaken so that what? You and I would never have to be. Jesus bore that wrath so that we don't have to. What I find is interesting is in the midst of all of the crucifixion, all of the pain and torture leading up to that moment, Jesus never once complained and cried out, this, this hurts. Stop, stop this. Don't, don't do that. Don't hit me. He never cried out. The only thing he cries out in reference to how difficult is what? Father, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus had to be forsaken so that you and I never, ever, ever have to be. It says that we are struck down but not destroyed. You could read this in some respects as you, you could be knocked over, but you keep getting back up again. Now, how does this happen? Like, who, who does something like that? Automatically, I think of, I'm thinking of the rough and the tough and the muscle, the tattooed. I'm thinking of the Brian Montais and the Sean Brauns, the Fran Johnsons of this world. You think of that. The ones that are just what? At some level, and yet, that's not the Apostle Paul. That's not him at all. If you look at the Apostle Paul, I, I, I envision kind of shorter, kind of small, weak. He has bad eyes. He's scarred all over the place. We have a tendency to look very clearly at, at the outside. Listen to what this, this one Paul endures, struck down but not, but not destroyed. He gives a testimony. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak? Paul says this, who's weak? I am not weak. So if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm telling the truth, that I'm not lying. That's a description of what it, what it means. Totally different from you and I. To, if you and I today were to survive a shipwreck, we got a book deal. Like automatically, someone will come and say, I'll write the book for you. And we can sell that. Why? Because whatever happens to us, it's our story. It's about me. It's about us. But not so with Paul. With Paul, it's always about Jesus. Why? Because he could not be destroyed. Which brings us to the final conclusion here. Although what? We are afflicted and perplexed and struck down and persecuted, yet we keep going. How does that end? happen as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ as ones like Jesus we must hold tight to the fact that we what it says always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies what is he speaking of the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus but one thing our power comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ here it is. This is why we keep going. This is how we keep going. As hard as it is, and I'm not saying it's easy, we need to remember the same power that raised Jesus from the dead enables you to endure any adversity that you're going through right now. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead literally dwells within you and enables you to endure. Paul's suffering and endurance are intended to bring the same resurrection life to the Corinthians so that they learn to trust God, so that we too can learn to trust God. Any one of us, all of us can face discouragement. And we know in those times... In those times of weakness or discouragement that many of us have faced over the past three or four months, Satan loves to pounce in our moments of weakness. And we listen to whispers from the father of lies. And we know that if we listen to lies long enough, we begin to believe them. And I remember a particular time in my life I was certainly there. As a pastor, what? I am, I am the one to offer counsel. As a pastor, I'm supposed to dispatch wisdom at some moments. I'm supposed to preach and to pray and to trust. But what happens when, when, when one person, what happens when the pastor is too weak, too exhausted, too frustrated? It was the wisdom of my wife who encouraged me to seek counsel. That's a hard thing to do. And I met with an organization called Care for Pastors. 
I met with the gentleman, his name was Ron Cook. And I explained to him the frustrations of ministry, the challenges of ministry. And I've made some mistakes in my decisions, and I can struggle with being angry at times, and, and, and just, ugh, that's it. I literally said, like, just, ugh. Ron Cook is from West Virginia, has just the most gentle southern accent. He cleared everything off of his desk. And he asked me one question. He said, Tim, do you, do you really believe that Jesus raised from the dead? You honestly believe that? And I said, yes, sir, I, I honestly. But he, he said, you're telling me you honestly believe that someone was dead, complete. He didn't faint. He had no breath in him. He had no pulse. You believe that he was dead, and then he came back to life again. I said, yes, sir, I honestly believe that. I honestly believe that. Although things can get disoriented, there's some truths that we hold on to. And he leaned forward and he said, remember this, that the same God who raised his son from the dead can restore your heart, restore your mind, can give to you clarity of thoughts, can heal, can refresh, can forgive, and can use even you. What a moment in my life. You see, today, for all of us, more than any other times, may we see these moments of our weakness as simple opportunities to celebrate Jesus' strength. We have this treasure in jars of clay, cracked pots, to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. May we be encouraged this morning with that message. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we are thankful. I am so thankful for who you are. Thank you for the words of the word that you've given to us. Father, I thank you for every single person that's here. And we thank you as well, Lord, that in your sovereign plan, in your providence, you've called us to live in some challenging moments, but we do not lose hearts. Father, I thank you that we, we don't exist and abide like the rest of the world, that we just simply dry up and blow away. That in these moments, you give to us strength by remembering of our risen Savior, Jesus. God, I would ask right now a special blessing and a special anointing upon those that are at the end of their rope. God, help them today to be encouraged with the fact that just, just like you raised Jesus from the dead, you can give them renewed strength to continue on, to be faithful, to endure. Father, we, we already give you thanks for all that you will do as we strive and seek to be faithful and obedient followers of Jesus. Bless us now. In your name we pray.